Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Hey, yeah, so excited this year. Um, still adding up the numbers, but I think this, well, I know this was our biggest mission offering ever at our church, our last 15 years. And we're blessed with that. Over $18,000 given, and uh, very excited about that. We're going to continue to um, seek to be a generous church, our giving to our budget. I'm, I'm, she's finished with the reports right now. I'll report it next week, but I think it might be our biggest giving year in the last 15 years as well to budget. So praise the Lord for that. Thank you for your faithfulness. It's good to be with you. Uh, this is the second Sunday of the new year, but in some ways it feels like the first Sunday of the new year because last year, last Sunday was right after New Year's. I know some people have a hard time waking up the day after New Year's, but you all were here. I recognize you and you were here. You look good. Um, here we are on January the 9th. Great to be with you. Today I want to talk to you about the subject of boldness, and I put a question mark after that because sometimes when you think of the word boldness, we think, I don't really know if I want to be bold. Sometimes it's a personality thing, right? I have a buddy, and he is a litigator. He wakes up to be bold, right? I mean, he gets out of bed, and he's just ready to go. He wants to have an argument, but he's going to do it with a smile because he's a really great guy. Some of us, you know, if you get the, you don't ever complain at a restaurant, right? They bring you the wrong salad. You're okay with that. Just bring me whatever. I don't really want to argue. I just want to eat in peace. So just bring to others of you, if they got a little bit of that boiled egg in your salad that wasn't supposed to have any egg in it, you're sending it back. I smelled egg. I don't want it. Get out of here. Um, you know, but that's really not the biblical boldness. And I want to talk about biblical boldness from Acts chapter 4 and what that actually looks like. When we think about boldness in the Bible... We're talking more about showing up and doing your role. It's showing up and doing what God has prepared you to do. When I was a a kid in high school, you won't be surprised to know that I was a football player. Amen? Just shake your head. Yes, I think that's very accurate. looks like somebody who could have played some ball. Maybe you were the whole offensive line. No, I was a skinny wide receiver. When I played football, we our games in St. Louis were on Saturdays because we didn't have lights. We did have electricity. But we didn't have lights, and the, li- and the games were, it was really good that they were at 1 o'clock on Saturday, because it got cold, so on Saturday afternoons, it wasn't bad, but you prepared all week, right? If you've ever been on a team, you know what it's like to play football, you prepare all week to play one game, right? Every day, and actually before the games start, you spend three weeks preparing, three or four weeks to prepare for one game, and on Saturday, you show up. If you're on a team, you don't have to win the whole game on your own. You've got a bunch of other guys that are going to help you. Your role is to do exactly what you were trained to do for your specific role in the game. Same is true if you're in a production as a kid in high school. Maybe you're in plays, musicals. Maybe you're in concert. Maybe you're in band. Maybe you're in orchestra. Maybe you just went to school and came home. I don't know. But whatever it was, you prepare for that event. And when the event comes, you're supposed to show up and do what you were trained to do. That's what boldness is. It's showing up and doing what comes naturally because you've been prepared, because you were with Jesus, right? Remember last week we talked about how can I be with Jesus? 
What are the ways that today, because I can't actually walk around physically with Jesus, how am I with Jesus? What is that like? Is that even possible? Yes. Three ways. We talked about them last week. Number one, read what he wrote, right? Read what he wrote. I know many of you are reading the Bible. A lot of times we start a new year, we're going to try to read the Bible all the way through. I just encourage you, read significant amount of the Bible every week, every day. Don't just go to, well, it's Sunday, I should probably read something. Do that, but every day, read what he wrote. If you want to be with Jesus, read what he wrote. Pray in his presence, right? Pray as though he's actually there, because he is. Pray in the reality that he's a real person. Talk to him as the Lord, the God, the one who knows us, the one who loves us. Pray in his presence. And then thirdly, live with his people. Your closest relationships need to be followers of Jesus. It's so important that you do what it takes to build relationships that are with people that are close to Jesus because they're filled with the Spirit as well. So being with the people of Jesus is like being with Jesus. Build those relationships. So that's the preparation. And then there's going to be a time when you get to be bold. When you get to answer the question. And when you get to represent Jesus well. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. The Word of the Lord says this, and if you're new to us, know that we preach through major books of the Bible almost every week, and we proclaim what the Word of God says. We do our best to explain it, proclaim it, and apply it to your life, and we go through books of the Bible so we don't skip things. Uh, that's why when it comes to the, um, a passage on boldness, we don't go, ah, I don't want to talk about that. We go right through it, and we talk about boldness. We talk about what God's will is for us. Verse 23 of chapter 4 of the book of Acts says this, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and elders had said to them. Now, if you've been with us, you know that what has just happened is Peter and John have had an encounter with a crippled man who was asking for alms, for giving, for someone to help him as he's sat outside the, the temple really for his whole life and he's 40 years old. Peter and John say to him, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I will give you by the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks, and it's amazing. And everyone gathers, and people start to believe in Jesus Christ. As Peter explains to them, this is the same power through the Holy Spirit that has healed this man that operated in Jesus Christ. It's continuing beyond his death, burial, and resurrection. He's still working. It's still happening. This Jesus that you killed is still saving, and he's still active. And it's an amazing experience. Things are great. People are excited. People are added to the church. And then what happens? The officials show up. Jewish leaders. And at that time, you understand that there was the Roman government, and then there was the Jewish religious leadership and some government had some government function. And they show up, and they don't like it. And they take Peter and John, and they arrest them, and they hold them overnight. The next day, they interrogate them. Why are you saying these things? Peter says, because this is the Jesus, I have to explain what happened. I can't help but share the experience that I've had. I, I just can't help it. It's, we're going to say it no matter what. And they, they looked at them and they said, well, the reason they're this way is because they've been with Jesus. And so they spoke boldly. 
And the leaders got together and they said, listen, this crowd around us is loving what they're doing. They're loving what they're saying. And there's going to be a riot if we, if we punish them. So we just need to warn them. Don't say this anymore. And they let him go. And then verse 23 happens. And when they're released, Peter and John, they go back to their leadership, to the church. And this is probably the apostles and some other leaders. And they, they tell them what happened. And they start to realize the threat is real, right? They've seen how it happened with Jesus Christ. Remember, he entered the city as a hero. And everybody said, Hosanna, save us. They worshiped him as king. And then within a week, he's on a cross. And they're shouting, crucify him. And they're making fun of him. They know how quickly a crowd can change. So the threat of the leaders was real And they were about to enter a very dangerous situation. The opposition to Jesus put them on the cross. Remember, the cross of Jesus saves the opposition. Amen. It's a moment of truth. What are they going to do? Are we going to keep talking about Jesus? Even though we've been threatened not to do it anymore? Are we going to take that risk? Are we going to be bold? This is the moment of truth for the early church. And in verse 24, we see what they do. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said to the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? And the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever, get this, your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. First of all, I'm really impressed that they prayed, right? When you face opposition, when you face a threat, is this the first place that you go? I mean, generally it's going to be a big discussion and we're all going to be worried. Or is it we go right to prayer? They prayed. The second thing I'm really impressed with is that they didn't pray for fire to come down out of heaven to consume them. That would have been me. Hey, God, let's zap these people. God, can you just wipe them out because they're, they're trying to stop the most amazing thing in the world? Can you just zap them? They didn't do that. They didn't pray for weapons to go in there and take them out. They didn't even pray for a change of government. They go right to the sovereignty of God and then to boldness. We'll see in the next verse. When we pray, We need to pray in the reality that God is absolutely in charge. They start out with sovereign Lord. Really, the Greek word is the root word that we have for despot. Sovereign one who's absolutely in control. It doesn't have the negative connotation that the English word says, but it's the sense of he is absolutely sovereign Lord. You are in control. And here's what you're in control of. You created heaven and earth and the sea and all that is within them. 
There's a sense that everything comes from you, God. You put it all in place. Everything that we experience is the result of your hand and the power of your spoken word, right? God spoke creation into existence. So they start their prayer up, God, you made everything. And not only that, but sometimes when we think of creation and we think of the power of God, we could sometimes think, well, that that was it, right? God created everything. He wound up the universe. And he said, I'll see you after a while. You guys figure it out. That's a deistic view, but it kind of can creep into our world sometimes. Well, God created it now. We just got to, we'll report back when we've done our, no, God is intimately involved in what's going on. And they go on to point that out through what they have just experienced. They quote from Psalm 2, and if you think about it later, read all of Psalm 2. They say that, the mouth, through the mouth of David, our servant, you said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain and the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed? That's the first two lines of Psalm 2. It's common practice for those days. You would just say the first line or two of a psalm and you were kind of invoking the entire psalm. And what that psalm talks about is it's crazy that the kings of the world think that they can come against God. That they think that they can rage and they can war against God. And, and it says that, that the whole psalm is about how God laughs at them and how He turns their purposes into His own. And then in the prayer, they do exactly that. They say, truly, this is what we've seen happen in the death of Jesus Christ. The city was gathered together against your holy servant. They identify Herod, the Jewish king, the half-Jew king, and then the Pontius Pilate, the Roman representative, and the Gentiles, and the peoples of Israel. That's what they're saying. God, all of these peoples were arrayed against you. Your people, not your people. Rome, Israel, all were arrayed against you. But you, you turned their purposes and their plans to achieve your purpose that you had already planned out. Here's what we need to understand. God predestined that Jesus would die. Remember, this was not a mistake. This was not something that was a shock to God. He, Jesus came to earth to do what? To sacrifice himself for you and I. And it was through the opposition of both Jew and non-Jew that Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin. Through you and me. Our sin put him on the cross, but his cross paid for our sin. And that's what they're acknowledging. God, you're not just the one who created everything. You're functioning even through opposition to achieve your goal and your purpose. I mean, that's, that's mind-blowing if you think about it. And as you think about your own opposition, know that God is functioning through that to achieve his purpose. That's the kind of God that we serve. And that's the basis for their prayer before they even ask for anything. See, God works through opposition. He's done it throughout all of Scripture, right? God worked through the, the difficulties even of the weather, right? He wipes out evil with a, with a flood first, right? He teaches His people how great He is as He allows them to watch Him defeat Jericho. Jericho is the opposition. God's greatness is shown in the defeat of Jericho. Later, he disciplines his people through enemies. Opposition 
causes God's people to turn to him. And then in the gospel story, Jesus Christ is crushed, is tormented, is killed by the opposition. But that death pays for our sin. I would venture to say that most of you who've come to Jesus probably came to Jesus through opposition. It was only when you realized, I can't be good. I can't overcome evil. That we turn to Jesus and say, God, would you forgive me? Would you cover my sin with your blood? Would you make me innocent? And would you have your spirit come into my life? I don't know that any of us would ever come to Jesus were there no opposition. God is at work through opposition. And because of that, in verse 29, they ask this question. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. This is what they're saying. God, in light of what's happening, in light of the opposition that we're facing, because it's the same opposition that Jesus faced, it continues, and your sovereignty worked even through that opposition. We want that to continue through us. Would you give us boldness that we can represent you well, even in spite of opposition? Because opposition, you know, has a tendency to tamp down our boldness. Opposition tends to make us say, I don't know if I really want to say that. I think I'll just be quiet. I think I won't show up for the game today. They're praying that God give us your boldness so that we can represent you well. Exert your sovereignty through even us. Let me think about that for a minute. God wants to be God through you. God wants to exert His sovereignty and His will through you. And this is what they're praying for. They're praying to be bold. See, boldness is not about being obnoxious and in people's face. And listen, if you're doing that, please stop. Please stop. Boldness is being willing to explain what God has done in your life and what He's doing in this world even when there is a real and significant risk. That's what it is. It's simply being able to tell your story. You don't need to win the argument. Because if you're winning the argument, you're probably losing the war. Right? You don't even need to look good or smart. You just need to be as loving as Jesus was on His way to the cross. Boldness is showing up for the competition ready to compete. Verse 31. You know, it's important to know and recognize the answer that God gives, right? I love how God answers them. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of the Lord with great boldness. Man, we got to recognize what God is doing, right? Do you think there was someone in the room at that point that said, oh, that's just a, that's just they're doing some blasting down the road, you know, or, or, you know, there's just, they're, they're playing that loud music over there. That's, that's the, that's the shaking we're feeling. No, they connected it, didn't they? 
years ago, Julie was interested and was kind of praying about, God, could we do a mission trip to Africa? Not long after that, we had someone give us $5,000. And then that week, we had a chance encounter, a, a surprise encounter with a, some new friends that invited us to go to Africa to help lead a marriage retreat. You know what we did? We bought some new furniture. No, we didn't. You put that together. That's not hard to put together, is it? You pray, God provides, there's opportunity. That's what boldness is. It's simply going on the trip. It's showing up. You say, you know, Steve, I don't, I don't know about that because I have some threats that maybe you're not aware of. I want you to think about what stops you from telling your story. Maybe it's that, you know, if I tell someone about Jesus, they're going to think, they're going to know that eventually you're going to get to the part where I'm bad and you're just, they're just going to call me a judgmental person. You're uncaring, you're judgmental, you think you're better than everyone else, and you're a fool. That's the threat that's out there, isn't it? That's the threat that's out there. Or the opposite threat is also, I think, it's a little different, but it kind of ends in the same place. It's this. People say, that, oh, you're a really nice person. You're a good person. You're a loving person. And we don't want to be bold because we don't want to lose that. Because as soon as we do, then we're going to be exiled. And we'll be cast aside, not listened to. See, the threat is real. Let me ask you. Can you tell your Jesus story? Can you tell how you got to the point in your life where you realize the need for Jesus? And maybe you can't explain exactly how he did it, which makes the story even more powerful, incidentally. But somehow you were convicted of sin and you knew that you had to repent. You knew that you absolutely had to have a Savior. And you needed Jesus in your life you couldn't be good on your own. Could you tell that simple story were someone to ask? See, people do ask. They may not say, hey, I want to find Jesus, but they may say something like this. Hey, what do you guys do on Sunday morning? What, what do y'all do? Oh, you know, we go see some friends. Ever do that? Rather than simply say, oh, you know, we go to church. Well, why do you do that? Well, because that's where we worship the one that saved us. That's where we worship the one who gives us joy. That's where we worship the, the one who loved us more than we could possibly imagine. Or another question might be, you know, how have you been married so long? How's that happened? Well, you see, we're both sinners, but Jesus Christ saved us both. Because it turns out when two sinners move into the same house, there's not less sin, there's a lot more. Amen? Tony Evans, incidentally, Mary, um, said that. Can you answer that question? Do you answer it with glory to God? You know, the only reason we're married 35 years is because God saved us and forgave us and continues to forgive us. Praise the Lord. Or maybe you get this question. You know, I don't understand why God allows disasters like the tornadoes in 
Mayfield, Kentucky recently. I don't understand why God allows hurricanes. I don't understand why God allowed the earthquakes in Haiti. I don't understand why God allows all these disasters. And do you just shrug your shoulders and go, I don't know either? Or do you take the risk to be bold enough to say, you know, I really think God allows that because he wants us to realize this world is not going to last forever. It's not our home, and he wants to get us ready for what's next. Very simple answer. Or why did God allow this illness? Why did he allow this sickness? Why does he allow the, the, the good to suffer? Why does these bodies aren't going to last forever? We need to recognize the fact that we need to get ready for what's next. It's not really that complicated. Some people say, well, I don't really feel comfortable start talking about Jesus and God because I'm afraid people are going to ask me questions about the Bible that I can't answer. I'm just afraid that I won't have all the answers. Listen, people don't really need to know your theology. They just need to know your Jesus. You can always ask. I'll answer a question for you. Call me up. Text me. Hey, Steve, I don't understand. Why does God allow disasters? I'll give you the answer. The point is, are you care enough to share what you know about Jesus? Peter and John have been with Jesus three years. What did they respond with? This is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. Will you be ready to simply answer the question of why there is hope within you? You see, God works through opposition. We need to pray for boldness. God works absolutely through opposition. We need to pray for boldness. And you may say, well, Steve, I don't know. Why should I really do that? Isn't it okay for me to just be a believer and just keep my mouth shut and not even... Listen, here's the thing. When, you, when you're bold in the face of opposition, it strengthens your faith muscle, right? It is exercising your ability to trust and believe in God. When I ran high school track, I never ran faster than when there was competition. I could practice all the days, all the time, but when, it was, when there was, it was actual meat, I could always run faster. It's true spiritually. You got to show up. You got to answer the question. You got to be bold, even though there is a significant risk. Being bold strengthens your faith. It also validates your identity. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Sometimes as believers in our culture, we start to wonder, what, who am I really? Am I a Floridian? Am I a Republican? Am I a Democrat? Am I my ethnicity? What am I? You're a follower of Jesus. And when you're bold in the face of risk, you validate who you actually are. You see, when Mike Fitzpatrick is working as a firefighter and he gets the call, if he stays in the station, he's not really a firefighter, right? He validates who he is every time he shows up for the fire, right? When a nurse shows up at the hospital to care for someone, she is validating the fact that she's a nurse. She can say she's a nurse all she wants, but until she actually shows up to care for someone, she's not really a nurse. She may be practiced, she may be prepared, but she's not really not really a nurse. The same is true for a teacher. You have all the training in the world, but until you get in the classroom and actually teach someone, you're not really a teacher. So then we show up, and when we're bold in the face of risk, we validate who we are. 
said, this is who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. The other thing that happens when you're bold in the face of opposition, your heart starts to break for the opposition. You start to see how sad it is to be far from Jesus. How sad it is to to kind of try to defend yourself that you're going to get there, that you're okay, that you're good. And you start to realize how empty that is. And your heart starts to break for the opposition. But also it brings Jesus great glory. It brings him more glory than hitting a home run makes your dad happy. Right? It brings you more glory than anything you could ever do on earth to please him. When you show up and say, I'm going to be bold even though it might cost me. Even though it likely will cost me. It brings God great glory. On the other hand, when you fail to show up for the game, when you just kind of put your, your hands in your pocket and kind of shrug when someone asks a spiritual question, you miss the sovereignty of God happening through your life. You miss seeing Him being powerful and active. And you start to think that God really isn't doing much in this world. God really maybe isn't even very powerful. That's what happens when we fail to be bold. You see, what God wants you to be involved in is Him moving in power in other people's lives. He wants you to to watch someone move from death into life. He wants you to play a role in that. And honestly, you're not going to see all that game film until heaven because you won't know all all the effect that you had. But I look forward to the day we can gather around the throne of Jesus. And as my old friend Bob Barn used to say, they pull up the jumbotron. I don't know if there is one, but somehow I think you're going to be able to see what happened as a result of your faithfulness, of your boldness. And we're going to be able to celebrate what God did. Sometimes we get to see it. Sometimes we get to see a life change in front of us. But sometimes we just get to be a part of what God is doing in a life to bring change and to bring them to him. Let me ask you, is this anything happening in your life right now spiritually? Would you be bold enough to pray for boldness? Would you be bold enough to pray for boldness? Because I can tell you, this is one of those prayers that our God will absolutely answer. If you, want to, if you, want, if you say, God, give me boldness, you're going to have an opportunity to be bold pretty quick. And I want you to come back next week and share with me what happened. Seriously. If you'll be bold and say, God, I, just want, I don't want the opportunity to tell my story or just to encourage someone just a little bit, I guarantee you that it will happen. Would you be bold enough to pray that prayer this morning? God, you are absolutely sovereign. You made the heavens and the earth. You operated through a crazy bunch of people who wanted to kill your son and did kill your son, and you achieved your goal through them. God, I know he could work through me. Would you give me the opportunity to be bold this week? Would you give me that opportunity not to be obnoxious, not to have an argument, but just to share some little bit of who Jesus is? Would you bow with me now? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. 
Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.